The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At The Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to the Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us today for part one of a three-part series called Equality and Life, a series of conversations about racial equality in our hometown. The purpose of this series is to gather a group of community leaders to share diverse perspectives related to the important and unfinished work of making the promise of equality a reality for everyone. The Equality in Life series is part of our Local Color Project, made possible by the generous support of Bank of America. Some of our podcast episodes are recorded specifically for this show, and some are recordings of events we host. For now, our events are happening over Zoom and Facebook Live, but typically we meet in person, which is really important to us. This episode is one of those event-type episodes where you get to hear a recording from a program that aired recently. There are three parts to the Equality in Life series, each focused on a specific area where inequalities exist in our systems. These programs took place in June and July of 2020, and now they're being released on the Village Squarecast, one each week for three Thursdays in a row. The first is about justice and law enforcement, and that's the one you'll hear in this episode. The second is focused on business and growth, and the third is about the role of government and a look to the future. Find all of these discussions soon on the Village Squarecast. So now back to part one, justice and law enforcement. This conversation was facilitated by former Tallahassee Democrat publisher Skip Foster, and it brings together an incredible panel of nine members. These are representatives from law enforcement, the criminal justice system, the neighborhood community, the faith community, and civil rights activists. Personally, for me, with all the recent focus on reforming law enforcement, I see that change is necessary and overdue, but it also feels very complicated, and I found myself sitting with lots of questions, like how do our law enforcement agencies intersect, and who's responsible for what? What does change look like specifically beyond the hashtags? What changes are already in progress, and where do we go from here together as a community? Well, this episode addresses all that and more. It's been really thought-provoking for me and has led to several aha moments, like realizing the significant advantages I have in the criminal justice system simply by my ability to pay for legal services. We are very fortunate to live in a community where conversations like this are happening and where we have folks like this and so many more all over our community doing the hard work to make change happen. 
So thanks to all the panelists for participating, and thanks to you for joining us for this important discussion. With that, I'm going to turn you over to Skip Foster to get things started. Good evening, and welcome to this Equality in Life conversation presented under the auspices of the Village Square in partnership with Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and Sachs Media Group. We wish we could be gathering with you in person, and we promise to do just that when it's safe to be inside and in large groups again. With so much attention being rightly focused on the relationship between the criminal justice system and the community, we're here today for a thoughtful discussion of this challenge to start a meaningful dialogue between citizens and individuals who can lead efforts toward reform. We have a number of distinguished panelists with us today. We will hear uh, from them shortly, but more importantly, we'll be hearing from you. We have already heard from you. You sent your questions in in advance and we'll be taking even more of your questions and we'll have a Q&A period uh, in the second half of the program. We'll get to as many as time allows given the large size of today's audience. We really look forward to hearing what's on your mind. First, to kind of set the table for our discussion tonight, some insights from Sachs Media Group about a community survey conducted this month. The results just came out, uh, and this will give us a sense of how Leon County residents feel about law enforcement, the criminal justice system, and the need for police reforms. To briefly present some key findings from that survey, I am pleased to introduce Michelle Ubin, president of Sachs Media. Michelle. Thank you, Skip. Uh, Yes, we conducted the survey of uh, 1,269 Leon County residents in mid-June, and it's representative of Leon County voters in terms of age, race, gender, and political affiliation with a 95% confidence level. And what we found almost universally in the survey is that Leon County residents believe that there are inequities in uh, virtually across the board, all of our systems, by far the the largest in our justice system, but also spanning employment, education, how people are portrayed in the media, and uh, the ability to gain elected office. So uh, the the vast majority of people surveyed uh, say that our local criminal justice system favors some over others. So who do they see as the people who are favored? People who have political connections, uh, people who have more wealth, and white residents. Again, uh, an overwhelming majority saw a need for criminal justice and and justice system reforms. The, uh, The perceptions of residents were that Uh, Police use more force against people of color, uh, that poor people are inequitably charged with crimes, and that people of color and the poor get longer prison sentences. Uh, Yet, you know, we did find significant support for law enforcement. Uh, 77% of those surveyed are concerned about violent crime and see a a significant role for, for police officers in combating that and 65% say that most officers act responsibly and properly. But there are limits uh, that people would like to see uh, imposed on officers with 76% saying uh, that officers should not be allowed to use whatever tactics are necessary to take suspects into custody 
and uh, a full 89% supported a thorough review of police policies and procedures. Thank you, Michelle. Those are very interesting findings that uh, definitely will help shape our discussion. So this, uh, I hope there are hundreds of you watching and I hope you appreciate this panel. It's an amazing group of people who have taken time. Uh, they're all very busy to be with you today and to tonight and to uh, share a little bit about um, their perspective on these vital issues. What I'm going to do is introduce them in alphabetical order and just give them about 30 seconds uh, to just make a brief uh, introductory comment and uh, then we will um, move forward into our questions. So we've got State Attorney Jack Campbell. Good evening. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Skip. Well, thank you for everybody coming out, both the rest of the panelists and to the public at large. I think the key to trying to build trust and relationships and overcome some of those, uh, those troubling statistics is for getting to know one another and investing the time to not only understand the procedures and the policies, but people who are filling into these roles. So uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out and I look forward to talking. Thank you. We have attorney Benjamin Crump, who represents the family of George Floyd, among others who have lost loved ones uh, to police action. Welcome, Mr. Crump. Thank you, Skip, and thank you to Village Square. Uh, I'm very honored to be with uh, my neighbors, to be home, Pastor Holmes, uh, and not traveling, uh, to talk not just about the problems, but about solutions. Uh, I know uh, Adna Marshall and our NAACP president and I frequently talk about the need for um, transparency plus accountability, and that's how we get to trust. So hopefully with all our elected leaders who I consider uh, my friends and the community stakeholders, we will understand the importance of transparency and accountability to try to bridge this divide of mistrust between uh, many minority communities and law enforcement. So I look forward to the conversation this evening. Thank you very much, Mr. Crump. We have Talithia Edwards, founder and president of the Greater Bond Community Neighborhood Association. Welcome, Ms. Edwards. Thank you, Skip, for having me today. It is an honor to serve on this panel, distinguished panel. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, we're seeing so many things happen in our community right now. I'm in one of those impacted communities that's flooded with a lot of intercommunal violence and um, want to have better relationship with our law enforcement. So I'm looking forward to the conversation tonight. Thank you very much. We have Reverend R.B. Holmes of Bethel Missionary Baptist Church. Reverend Holmes, welcome to you. Uh, Skip and my brothers and sisters, uh, it's, a, it's good to, to greet you. Um, I think that uh, the conversation is necessary. I think that the data is, is very clear that we must, be, we must begin this process of, of, of listening and, and moving from rhetoric to action. Uh, I believe that if anyone can resolve uh, these problems, I believe Tallahassee can do it. As Attorney Crump has already said, I think transparency, uh, trust, and, and, and really being, being very forthright can get us a place of, of, of justice and equity. Thank you so much, Reverend Holmes. We have with us United States Attorney for the Northern District, Larry Keefe. Welcome, Mr. U.S. Attorney. Thank you, Skip. Um, I 
um, believe to, it to be true that many, many black Americans do not trust the American criminal justice system. And I uh, have been through much discernment and reflection since the killing of George, George Floyd. And I wanna commit to you all and the community that I'm gonna do every single thing I can within my lawful power to try to earn that trust. I am just a piece of the puzzle in terms of the U.S. Attorney's Office, but I am here in good faith. I'm willing to take risks and to take chances and to do different things within the scope of my authority to try to earn the trust back uh, from the, the, uh, the black community so they can trust the American law enforcement system. Thank you, Mr. Keefe. We have with us local NAACP President Adner Marcelin. Welcome, Mr. Marcelin. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Skip. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and with everyone in the community. And uh, as president of the NAACP, uh, we are just looking forward to finding solutions that work not only for our community, but also demanding the accountability and the transparency from uh, our government leaders and those who are servicing our publics and knowing what's going on. That has been a major concern of the people. And what we want to do is to get to the bottom of what we can do to work together with our local government to ensure that we all can live in peace and harmony. Thanks again. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. We have with us Sheriff, uh, Leon County Sheriff Walt McNeil. Sheriff, welcome. Well, thank you all for having this 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 uh, panel here tonight. I am excited about the conversation. I will tell you that, uh, like uh, many of my colleagues around this, this nation, are horrified when we saw what happened and continues to happen to African Americans. Uh, it's in the custody of uh, uh, police, and this conversation I hope moves us down the road so we can actually see some tangible outcomes. Uh, obviously, being in this job for over forty years. I can tell you we've, we've had some horrific things happen, and there's no question that we need to improve our delivery system in law enforcement, and hopefully tonight, uh, this discussion will help us here locally. Thank you so much, Sheriff. We have Tallahassee Police Chief Lawrence Revel with us. Chief, thank you for being here. Thank you, Skip, and, and Village Square. I just, I too am very excited about this conversation and, and about the ability uh, for all of us to come together. This is such a distinguished panel. Uh, I look forward to the, the questions that are going to come from our community um, and from all over and, and just to have what you know we've been saying all along is to have real conversations about real issues that are facing us and, and like the sheriff and others have said, hopefully come to some solutions um, that will bring about change um, because we know that that's where we are and, and it's time for that change to occur. So I'm excited about this opportunity. Thank you so much, Chief. And finally, we've got some snazzy titles here today, but nothing beats FBI Special Agent in Charge, Rachel Rojas. Welcome. Thank you, Skip, and thank you to Village Square, and thank you all for this opportunity. I cannot thank you enough. Uh, as a law enforcement officer, as you know, we're all bound by an oath to serve all citizens with equal compassion and professionalism, dignity, and respect. And I'm really honored to be a part of this conversation because I too want to hear about the solutions and how do we fix and bring the community and law enforcement back together again. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. So we're going to get the conversation started here with some questions that uh, we've developed. Uh, we had some questions uh, that we kind of weaved in that were pre-submitted. 
uh, and then we'll turn to your live questions. Remember, as you submit your questions, this is the Village Square. Uh, hard questions are important and part of why we're here, but we're not going to get into character assassination or anything like that. So um, we have understandable disagreement on these complex issues, but our community will be best served if we can roll up our sleeves, listen to understand, and work together. Respectful disagreement across diverse perspectives is an opportunity to see big problems more fully so that we can solve them. Sheriff McNeil, I'm going to start with you, sir. This is a discussion primarily about the intersection between law enforcement and African Americans. Nobody on this panel embodies that intersection like you do. I want to ask you, what's it like today, today, to be an, an African American wearing a law enforcement uniform? Well, Skip, it's, uh, it's always been something of a challenge uh, as an African American. Uh, when you uh, every day are policing in the African-American community. And in some respects, I see uh, quite uh, clearly that uh, law enforcement is forced to over-police in African-American communities, not only here in Leon County, but all across our country. And Skip, what that speaks to, to me is, as an African-American looking at it, is that uh, we have allowed the social problems of our, of our nation, of our community, to fall to the laps of law enforcement. And we are not the entity that's most capable of doing that. And so you wind up having law enforcement officers responding to mental health problems. Uh, we respond to uh, arguments. We respond to uh, circumstances where mom says, little Johnny, you need to go to school. And little Johnny says, I'm not going to school. Mom calls the sheriff's office and says, bring a deputy here, he won't go to school. Uh, we have stepped into all the social problems of our nation and that results in uh, over-policing and results in more contacts with the African-American community. Disproportionate contacts in some instances in various communities. And that's something I've looked at and been working on, how do we change that? And quite honestly, Skip, uh, we have been doing 20th century policing uh, and now it's time for us to do 21st century policing, which means we need to get, like I said, to the county commission. There is no reason for mental health issues that law enforcement should be the first to respond. That should perhaps be EMS and medical people responding, but we aren't putting up, and that's where I talk about defund the police. I think that speaks to, Skip, a desire to see more resources in the field with social service organizations being able to respond as opposed to law enforcement. And that way you stop, uh, from my perspective, what's perceived as over-policing in some cases to be true. Thank you so much, Sheriff. Uh, I wanna turn to uh, Ms. Edwards as kind of a segue. Um, so you've got the, the, the high sheriff, as they used to say. You're at the grassroots level though. You spend every day uh, with uh, you know, folks on the street uh, and, and in your community. What is the biggest untold story of race relations right now in Tallahassee or how uh, law enforcement and the and minority communities interact? I think the biggest untold story is the fact that we don't, in our communities, necessarily hate the police because I think that's the message that come across. 
but that we are looking for better relationships. We're looking for officers who are trained to come in our community that are not afraid to be in our community, that when things do happen, that we don't see 20 and 30 police cars with rifles like we're in Iraq or Baghdad. This is not war. These are our communities. These are our homes. And we need to trust these people who are set to serve and protect us. And so, um, that's what we're asking for better relationships get to know us get to know what um the nuances of our our body languages are you know so that we're not perceived as being combative or irate because you don't know the nuances of the african-american people when you come in contact with them thank you thank you very much reverend holmes uh you are of uh, uh, an important, influential pastor and leader in this community. But what is the role of the church during this time in our nations and in our community's history? That's a great question, Skip. I think the church historically, especially the, the African-American church, has always been the forefront of resolving our problems um, through, through positive protests, um, challenging uh, politicians to to understand uh, what people are saying in the inner city as they say, how do we be a better and stronger policeman relations? I, I think that the, the church cannot take a, a back seat. We have to always, always be um, on, on the front and center of resolving community problems. That, that means um, making sure we elect the, the best people who will be accountable, who can articulate uh, the, the concerns of the inner city, to elect people who, who really... Uh, committed to community community uh, redevelopment, and that would really make sure that that police and sheriff are being accountable. Um, I, I think one of the pluses we have in this community, and I keep saying, I think we have a great community. Obviously, uh, to to not always to react to proact. I think the citizen review board is is critically important, and I think that you you get that from the church perspective, trying to dig deep in the community. And, and, and really talk about the issues and, and go from a, a, what I call, from a, a moment to a movement. Thank you, Reverend Holmes. I appreciate that. Uh, so, um, State's Attorney Campbell, uh, to kind of leave the um, theoretical and get down to uh, the nitty gritty, we've, we've had three recent cases uh, where officers have shot and killed someone. This is, we've taken a lot of questions on this, um, of, of course, uh, as you would expect we would. Um, all of those are currently under investigation, so I know there's only so much you can say, but can you give us whatever updates you can on those cases and walk us through uh, your, the process you're going through, including how the grand jury works, and finally, if you could just briefly address the issue of uh, the release of body cam footage, and I'm preemptively granting you a, an extension because that's a lot to get through in a short amount of time. So uh, do your best. All right. Well, and I'm hearing it, and I, I'm not surprised to hear it in the forum. And, and candidly, it, it's exactly what I signed up for. Um, the grand jury is, while we've got these proactive, and as my friend Patrick Holmes is talking about trying to do system review by law enforcement. Um, wants to be open and approachable. I think that the days of wanting to be in the ivory tower, the, the days of trying to hide behind things, um, hopefully are behind it. We're certainly, in, and I'm trying to lead us in that direction. 
Um, I want to show every piece of evidence that I have on every case. I've always looked at it as if I'm not going to look you in the eye and tell you why I'm doing something, I probably shouldn't do it. So these issues, and I inherited a system, having a father that was in, in the sheriff's office and an uncle that was in the police department, there were a lot of people were questioning whether I was willing to prosecute law enforcement officers and give uh, a hard look at them. Um, so I promised people when I ran that every time an officer-involved shooting came, I would present that to a grand jury. A grand jury is 21 people in the community. Uh, I've already, they meet all over the six counties of the second judicial circuit. There's one in effect right now in Leon County, but because of COVID, it has not been allowed to meet. The first day that they will let the, the state grand jury come back in the state of Florida is July 20th. And so what we're working on right now is my plan is to try to pick a new grand jury. They will serve for six months. If you're over 18 years of age, and have a driver's license or ID card in Leon County, you could be on the Leon County Grand Jury. Um, every person is eligible. Um, if you're willing to follow the law and are available to serve, 21 people will hear and look at the evidence, and then they can, can look and make recommendations, not just concerning the legality of the officer's action, they have the power to charge the crime, but then they can also do what's called a presentment, which is they can make comments about whether they like the way law enforcement is acting. I've been watching with great interest. I would, candidly, I would love to see an outside agency come in and I have no problem working with that. But as of right now, what I feel my job as the state attorney is to follow the laws we have. The grand jury is of ancient heritage. It's hundreds of years old and it's worked from ancient England throughout the history of this country. And we've seen it be able to shine because these are 21 people who have allegiance to no one but the law and then they can come back and say so the plan right now is um all the, those investigations are ongoing i've got the results of one of them i still have two of them that were waiting for the, the reports to come in um my hope is that they will all be in by july 20th and that they we will be able to present them to the grand jury just as soon as that grand jury has the time to sit down and i i pledge to the community as soon as that's done I will share the tape, I will share every report, I will share every part of it with the community and I'm willing to sit down in a forum like this one and talk people through, this is what I see here, this is what I see there. And if we do make charging decisions, we can. those will be aired out in a trial. If we decide not to charge people, then we'll, make, we'll explain what the rationale for that. And that's as open as transparent as I can be because I don't think that we want to rush to judgment and give incomplete information um, where we, we are misled. We've learned too many times that uh, a rush to judgment is, is a lack of judgment, and I don't want to see that happen. On the body cam, cam footage, uh, Mr. Campbell, are, are you saying that you are legally prohibited from releasing that, or you are choosing not to release it because that would be a partial release of evidence, or did I get both of those wrong? Well, no, it's, it, it's the only way I could legally release the evidence of the body cam now is if I were making a determination that no matter what, we're not going to charge the officers involved. So could I release it? Yes, I could release it, but that would be a terrible thing to do because I would be making the decision not to review at all the, the officer's use of force. So just like I've been dealing with, with the press for many years, we don't talk about the evidence of cases until those cases are resolved. So 
I am deciding that, that the grand jury and this office should decide whether or not those officers were proper or whether they committed crimes for me. And in case they make decisions as to the crime, only when those things are resolved will I be allowed to share the evidence in public. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, USA Keith, I hope you're feeling better. Uh, we saw your news. Uh, good luck on a quick recovery. What role does the U.S. Attorney's Office play? Uh, well, we hear a lot about this at the local level. What about the federal level? What, what is your role here uh, as it pertains to this issue? Sure. Um, 85% of all law enforcement in this entire country is state and local law enforcement. For example, Ms. Edwards was describing uh, in her community uh, the folks that she sees out there on a, day, on a daily basis High probability it is the sheriff's deputies and, and uh, the Tallahassee Police Department. 15% is the FBI, DEA, ATF, and the federal law enforcement components that we all know about. Most of the time we work together very, very well, uh, state, local, and federal, on violent crime. Uh, most of the federal prosecutions involve the most serious violent offenders, it involves drug cartels, human trafficking, the most serious offenses by the most dangerous offenders. And so we're all together in that respect, federal, state, and local law enforcement. But in regard to civil rights and the enforcement of civil rights laws, that is quintessentially a Department of Justice, the United States Department of Justice uh, effort. Uh, and. Uh, Special Agent in Charge Rojas can speak to that, I'm sure, at some point in this, but the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, investigates civil rights violations, unnecessary uh, use of force, excessive force matters, and the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division in the U.S. Attorney's Office prosecutes those cases. So in terms of policing the police, if you will, which I'm very hesitant to express it that way because I work so closely with uh, Chief Rebel and Sheriff McNeil and the other sheriffs in the Northern District, but when it comes down to it, in terms of an intentional deprivation of federally protected rights, that is the job of the Department of Justice. And I know Special Agent in Charge Rojas and I are committed. Uh, we lean forward and embrace that responsibility. Thank you. Uh, Chief Revel. you have now been on the job about six months, right? Uh, what have you changed in terms of policy, structure, or personnel when it comes to issues like the use of force, uh, the department's relationship with minority communities, et cetera. Uh, thank you, Skip. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did when we first came in was to totally restructure our, our command staff. And I brought in um, Deputy Chief Smith, um, Deputy Chief Holmes, um, and you know, promoted uh, to Deputy Chief uh, Jason Larson, who, who was internal. Um, one of the reasons to do that was I created an internal and external bureau which whose sole purpose was to communicate with our community um, to establish an open line um, so that that communication flow went out from, from my office to the community and more importantly from the community back to my office. And, and Deputy Chief Smith is over that and has done an outstanding um, job with that. COVID has obviously um, hurt some of that effort and our ability to get out and meet with people face to face. Um, but we have great partnerships with, with uh, the Bond Greater community and, and with Talipia and, and others in, in Frenchtown and we are working hard um, you know, um, with our community partners to make sure that, that we are doing the things that we need to do. 
we have turned all of our policies, our use of force policy, as well as all of our policies external so that anyone, you don't have to request them anymore. You can simply go online and, and look at any of our policies, um, you know, and, and comment on those, you know, if you, if you would like. So those are available on our Talgov site. You know, that's, that's one of the things we've done. We've developed a, a community uh, service technician program um, that really brings back the community service officers from years and years ago um, to make sure that we have um, civilian non-sworn personnel that are responding to, you know, minor calls in the community. And, and uh, you know, I've had discussions even as recently as today about how can those officers partner with uh, mental health professionals so that you don't have to send sworn officers to those type of, of calls. Um, and again, to like the sheriff said, you know, um, add to that uh, reality or perception of, of over-policing. You know, we, we have um, done our, our Citizen Advisory Council, which I'm very excited about. Um, Deputy Chief Smith has a meeting for that set on July 13th, um, which will bring that whole group together. Um, and they will review everything that we do, our policies, our procedures, um, and, and even our use of force and, and provide feedback as well as the Citizens Review Board that the City Commission uh, has implemented as well. So we are completely open to being transparent. I want that. I want um, our community to know what we're doing. I believe that you know, 90 to 95 percent of the things um, that, that our community is asking for, uh, the police department already does. Um, so part of what we are trying hard to do uh, is to make sure that everybody understands that and knows the things that we've had, that we have out there. Um, our partnerships with the with the U.S. attorney, with the state attorney, and especially with the sheriff's department and our other law enforcement partners is outstanding. Um, we are working hand in hand to address any and all of these issues as they come up. Um, we are bringing back fair and impartial policing and implicit bias bias training. Um, that we're going to make available not only to our agency, but partnering with FSU and, and LCSO um, and FAMUPD, um, TCC, to make sure that we can get as many people as we can into that training. Um, we're going to host it at the Civic Center, thanks to FSU um, you know, doing that for us. But, you know, there'll be four days of that, and, and we'll, we hope to put seven to 800 local officers through that training. Um, we had that about four years ago, but it's time to bring it in and, and have it done again. Um, so those are just a, a few of the things that I, I could talk on and on about it, but I'm, uh, and I know I need to keep it as short as possible. Thank you, Chief, very much. Uh, Mr. Crump, um, thank you for making time for us today. We really appreciate it. If you could sit down one on two, you've heard now from uh, the Chief and the Sheriff, if you could spend, you know, a big chunk of time just one on two with those two gentlemen, um, what would you tell them uh, that uh, based on the experiences you've had with the families you represented, what would you ask them and what would you ask of them? Thank you, Skip. We have these opportunities, unfortunately, Skip, in Minneapolis and Louisville, where Breonna Taylor was executed in our own apartment, where we know that there was a false information given on the order to a judge to effect probable cause to have one of these dangerous, I believe unconstitutional and unnecessary no-knock warrants executed on an innocent black woman who lost her life tragically. And 
it's not lost on anybody that 50% of these no-knock warrants are executed against black people in America, even though we make up only 13% of the population. So I think, as Reverend Holmes said, you know, the Citizens Review Board has to be real. And I would say to Sheriff McNeil and Chief Rebel and to um, State Attorney Jack Campbell and the United States Attorney, if we had an opportunity to sit, you would ask basic questions that Black people ask all the time, that we have two justice systems in America seem like one for Black America and one for white America. And what are you doing to challenge that belief? What are you doing to have a Citizens Review Board if you really want it to be uh, this mistrust abolished between uh, minority communities? Are you willing to have a Citizens Review Board that challenges the credibility of law enforcement? Because as we said, Black people in America, credibility is challenged every day by law enforcement. It don't matter what title we have. It don't matter how much education, what job. I know Adnan and them with NAACP has statistics. You can, people like Reverend Holmes, the most accomplished people are profiled by white police every day, no matter what we do. And so I will have that real conversation. Are you willing to have a citizen's review board that challenges the credibility of your agency to make your agency better. And if you're not willing to be questioned, then aren't you really above the law? Because just on this conversation alone, I've gotten text messages where people ask me all the time, why is it that the police body cam video is not released and they keep talking about this ongoing investigation but yet, when black people are accused of crimes, we always see the video. I mean, like day one, it's almost, you know, it's indoctrinated in our minds that on the six o'clock news, we gonna see some black person uh, in a negative way being portrayed, always. And then furthermore, you ask yourself, in George Floyd's situation, I, I was on, CNN earlier debating this, as horrific as that video was, eight minutes and 46 seconds, a knee on his neck, the other officer with knees in his back, the medical examiner says his death is because of mechanical asphyxiation, and it's clearly from what those officers did. The judge says, well, I don't know if they can get a fair trial in Minneapolis. I submit to you, if the roles were reversed and George Floyd had killed a white person or killed a white police officer that day, it would get a lot of attention everywhere. People would be talking about, man, did you see the black man with his knee on the police net for eight minutes and 46 seconds? But I guarantee you, no judge no judge, no district attorney, nobody would say, I'm not sure that that black man can get a fair trial. Maybe we need to move the venue. And then also, we shouldn't have cameras in the courtroom. Nobody would be saying those things. But the roles, the, everything seems to be 
turned on its head when a police officer kills a black person in the most unjustifiable, most unnecessary, most senseless way. We do everything in our power to say, no, no, we want to try to justify the unjustifiable. We start talking about lack of transparency in the courtroom, don't have cameras in there. How did that work out for Eric Gardner's family in Staten Island on the first I Can't Breathe case when they had the secret grand jury proceeding and Eric Gardner said 21 times he couldn't breathe and we saw the police apply a chokehold that was supposed to be outlawed in New York, but yet nobody went to jail. There was no accountability at all for the death of that person who we all witnessed with our eyes. And so I simply say this, if I was talking to the chief and the sheriff and uh, the other respected members of the law enforcement community, I would want to speak truth to power and ask those questions. Where have we ever seen when a black person charged with a crime where they say, no, we worried about whether they can get a fair trial. We worried about we got to change the venue and so forth. Nobody says those things. So when it said when the police kill us, we think it's the intellectual justification of discrimination that we have seen for 401 years in America. And right now, if there's ever going to be a change in the culture and the behavior of policing in America for disenfranchised people, it has to happen in the aftermath of George Floyd. Other than that, we're going to see more hashtags of black people being killed. We're going to see more protesting and rioting and more cities on fire in America. And I want to say, before I conclude, it was not the protesters who started the fires burning in cities across America. It was police brutality and a racist criminal justice system. And until we address these issues, those fires won't be extinguished. We got to have police accountability and we got to have equal justice under the law. And we got to be honest with ourselves because technology is showing us what black people have been saying for decades, that we are brutalized and we're treated differently. And now you get to sit with your own eyes, America. Thank you so much, Mr. Crump. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, special agent in charge. Uh-oh, did we lose... Okay, we did. So we'll come back. I know it looks like she's been having some uh, difficulty. Uh, Mr. Marcelin, uh, thank you for being here. Um, from your vantage point as head of the local NAACP, how would you characterize the state of race relations in Leon County right now? Um, I, it's, a little, it's, a, it's a tough question, but uh, I think that you have to answer these questions honestly. Um, in Leon County, uh, the same concerns that are expressed around the world, around the country, what we're seeing now, they're being expressed here as well. Uh, one of the things that the NAACP is doing is trying to bridge and communicate with um, individuals that we may see eye to eye, we may share the same ideology, and those that we see differently. Um, you know, Talithia Edwards just hosted a uh, collective of individuals that I probably would never have encountered here in Leon County. Uh, we came together to first be honest about what the issues were, you know, and I think that that's a very important thing that she did is because we recognize and we can sit here and talk all day about the issues that we already know what's going on. But at some point, 
We have to step up. We have to answer the citizens' questions. We have to uh, do less talking and put some action behind the words. Uh, I hear the frustrations, just like Attorney Crump is receiving text message. I'm getting text messaging and reading messages too. Um, the people are frustrated. It's a lack of information out there. And we have to do a better job at getting questions answered, taking action, and serving the needs of our citizens. Again, that's only going to happen when we're transparent with each other, when we come together, those of us who are elected, appointed, uh, to bring all of our resources together to figure out how do we solve and address these issues. Um, when I saw the protests going outside, I heard uh, there were some protesters that were, you know, ran over. I didn't have an invitation. No one invited me to say, hey, come walk with these protesters. I just put on um, something that I could grab real quick, put on some sweatpants, some tennis shoes, and I head out there and I said, hey, when I started walking around, I just started asking questions. I'm like, hey, who are you? I've never met you before. What are you out here for? Why are you all, uh, you know, marching up and down the streets? What are you protesting? How can I help? How can we bridge uh, communication? You know, Nick, Commissioner Nick Maddox, I applaud him. He stepped up and said, hey, what can we do to help facilitate communication between our government leaders and those who feel like they cannot be heard? And, and, and for us, we have to do a better job um, if we're going to solve a lot of the issues. I don't think, I think it's redundant to have to sit here and, and answer the question, uh, you know, where do we see the state of black America? It's, it's televised. You see... Um, a lack of trust between the African-American community, the minority community as a whole, and policing. There's other issues going around in the city. Uh, there's issues with uh, potential sexual assault and um, people not feeling safe and uh, the lack of education on where to go and how to handle these matters properly. Uh, it, it's a wide array of issues. There's poverty. There's a lack of a food desert in uh, minority communities. And so there's a lot of issues that we can sit here and talk about. And I think that yeah. they're pretty well known. The question is, are we prepared to step up and answer right. these questions and address some of them? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Marshall. And I'm glad you're here. Special Agent in Charge Rojas, or do you read me? Do you copy? Uh, public corruption has been a big focus of the FBI and the Justice Department in recent years nationally. Does racial profiling and discrimination and abuse fall under that public corruption umbrella and is the topic of how law enforcement treats minorities something that the FBI is looking at as a matter of course right now? Skip, I think I got most of it, so I apologize. I don't know if you can hear me. Um, obviously, public corruption is a, a large priority for the FBI, just as much as the protection of civil rights. And in public corruption, we're always looking at those that are abusing um, their duty and their role in law enforcement. So it's, it's like we've, uh, the FBI always says that no one should be above or beyond the law. We stand very firm in that belief, whether it is public corruption or whether it is civil rights. They're very different. It is possible that you could have uh, crimes in both elements, but we definitely follow the civil rights uh, component, which is a big part of the conversation today, is because when our law enforcement doesn't fulfill their duty to protect and serve its own citizens, particularly of the conversation we're having today, members of minority community, and eroding that trust, that's where we have a breakdown. So the FBI's role in civil rights has really been only really relatively new. It really only became the primary role for us in the Civil Rights Act in 1964. And it is really a privilege to have that. So we have to really 
spend a lot of time training and education about what we're talking about today, about ensuring that we're holding people accountable, providing fair, unbiased results, whether it's public corruption, civil rights, or even a terrorist attack. And that is our role, and we stand firm by it, and we hope that we can continue these conversations with the public, because the more that they get educated and ask us the questions, the more we can communicate what our message is. And if we're making mistakes, we need to hear that, because we can't change the environment. And that conversation that many of our leaders today talked about the use of force, I can tell you that is something very important to the FBI. We just asked a lot of the departments across the country to start providing statistics on use of force so the American public can see that data, that transparency. That, that. Okay, thank you. We, I think you were finished there, but we lost you at any uh, event. That was, uh, uh, appreciate your answer very much, uh, um, Special Agent in Charge uh, Rojas. So we're gonna transition now um, after one follow-up, we're gonna transition to questions that were submitted ahead of time from the audience. And then we're going to go to live questions, which I've been uh, getting a stream of. But I do want to follow up uh, with State's Attorney Campbell, uh, Chief McNeil, I'm sorry, Sheriff McNeil and Chief Rebel about uh, Mr. Crump's remarks. And I, and I want to reference the Sachs Media Group survey. 95% of Leon County residents said they were concerned that politically connected residents avoided punishment for crimes. And so... I think that goes directly to Mr. Crump's comments about two justice systems, and there's that, that perception is clearly there in Leon County. Doesn't that require structural change? I mean, is, you know, we're going to do better doesn't seem like a solution to that problem. Doesn't it require real um, structural kind of almost revolutionary change in the way we administer justice in our communities? And so kind of yes or no there, and then please explain if you, uh, yes or no to that, uh, to that question. So I see both the sheriff and uh, the state's attorney have gone off mute and are ready to go. I'll let you all see who gets in first. Well, I will uh, go ahead. I, I, can you hear me, Skip? Yes, sir. Well, uh, there, there is no question that, as I said previously, that 20th century uh, policing and, and efforts are not sufficient, I think, in the 21st century. Uh, and I think what we have to try to do is try to figure out how we move from the old way of doing things with the use of technology and everything else into an environment where we can more effectively start to uh, make the changes, I think, that people are expecting us to, to make in, in, in our society. There is no question that uh, law enforcement intersects in all aspects of all our lives. And from my perspective, we've got to sort of change that whole dynamic. And that means, as I said previously, uh, Skip, is looking at uh, what are the appropriate ways in which we interact with all segments of our community. Obviously, when you talk about uh, whites in our community and you talk about bail systems, person gets arrested, if you've got money to bail yourself out, obviously you can bail out person who's poor in our community, in our society, gets arrested, can't get out as readily as that person can. Those are changes, and as those are perceptions that people have about our criminal justice system. And in fact, they have ongoing discussions about, is it really uh, a criminal justice system that's, that's equally applied? And as long as you have uh, money being one of the uh, 
caveats in terms of whether you spend time in jail or not, while you're being processed, we will always have that kind of connotation about the system not being fair. And, uh, and I think that is one of the ways, I think one of the things we should be working on. I know a number of people across our country are working on, but I believe that starts to erode that perception that people have about uh, some can and some can't. So, Mr. Campbell, you talked about transparency. Um, what are the other ingredients in this stew to address that perception? 95% of pretty, you know, you can't get 95% of the people to agree that the sky is blue, right? Uh, what, what, what needs to be done? What else needs to be done? Well, if you look at the actual question, I think it's important that people believe that we need to be look at more opportunities to be fairer. And obviously, the criminal justice system needs always, we are hoping, is the most equitable, the most fair. And so, yeah, the first part, I think that trust is built, it's been said over and over, that trust has to be done by action. Um, and I think what you're, and go to your second part of your question, yes, it has to be a wholesale difference um, in the way that we do things. I think for a long time, the criminal justice system um, was in an ivory tower. Um, from time to time, the court system and you didn't hear um, what was really happening in the courtroom. You didn't have an opportunity to meet your prosecutor in, in, in forums like this. You didn't have an opportunity to look at the evidence. And I think I've heard Attorney Trump and so many others talk about, you know, digital evidence has now um, allowed us to see what uh, African-Americans have been knowing for years. Well, okay, then we need to go ahead and use that evidence. And just like I said earlier, come out, not just follow the rules that we have with juries and, and grand juries, but then take it the next step, which is come into the community, show that evidence, and say, here's what we did and here's why we did it. If you want us to do something different, then we need to avail ourselves of changing the laws or, change, or changing the people who are in those positions. That's the new step that I think that in my office, I'm trying to be much more approachable in the community. I think you're seeing me and very and my prosecutors come out and explaining not just what we're doing but why we're doing it and i think that that allows the, the electorate and the community to to know where my heart is and to know that i'm doing things for the right reasons and following the law based on where, where i see the evidence okay thank you okay we're the last 32 minutes we might run over a little bit this is going to be all questions from community members right so you're done with me i'm just a uh uh, what do you call the news people that read the, uh, you know, a newsreader? That's not what they're called, but you know what I'm talking about. So, um, and, and I want to uh, segue to you, uh, Chief Revel, and staying on this topic. And the question uh, from the uh, community member is, can we make training for law enforcement longer and more intensive? Other countries have years of training. We have months. Uh, how can we make this uh, happen? I'm, I'm in full support of, of more training. I, I will tell you, our academy is six months. Um, our officers at the Tallahassee Police Department go through an additional four and a half months of uh, in-house in training um, and through our FTO program. So it's almost a year of training before they actually hit the street um, to, to actually police. And then we do in-service training um, every year, um, which incorporates all the high liability areas, but also um, you know, we do fair and impartial policing we, in training. We do de-escalation training, and, and every one of those are incorporated into our scenarios. Um, you know, but one of the things and the topics that, that have come up and when we talk about things that we can do 
to change the justice system and, and, and the law enforcement part of that is starting back with our academies and, and truly looking at the entire curriculum of, of what we are teaching in the academy and maybe getting away from some of the um, traditional things that we've taught year, in, year in and year out and really looking at some innovative ways um, to incorporate the de-escalation training and the in, implicit bias training you know, from the very beginning um, because that's when our officers form who they are is in that beginning training. So bringing um, all of the state academies together, all of the directors together, um, and, and coming to a consensus on what it is that we can do um, to change that training um, to, to see if we get a different result um, in the long run for the officers as they proceed forward. So um, we are always looking at new and, and different training and trying to incorporate that in, into everything that we do um, in, in law enforcement. And, and certainly we're open again to, to that change and how that's going to be perceived um, in the future and how it's going to be implemented in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Reverend Holmes, a community member asks, what can we do to help facilitate a community-wide change that will include all of the, of the community stakeholders? How can we move this forward as a community? I think, Skip, um, as we talk about a profound solution, and I think what I'm hearing community stakeholders talking about, um, I'm, I'm very courageously and consistently, this Polish Review Board, this, this uh, Citizen Polish Review Board. As you know, um, the Vice Mayor, uh, uh, Diane Cox, made that motion uh, last month and was seconded by uh, Commissioner Bryant. Um, the mayor, five city commissioners supported unanimously. I think what the community is saying is, can we have a review board review board? Now let me just also take a, take, take a, a deep dive to, to commend what the chief is putting together as we speak, a community police uh, relation board that'll be uh, chaired by Pastor Ferguson. Okay, so that's, that, that's great. We're also talking about now this citizen review board that have been passed by the city commissioners. I think, Skip, all need to be in. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that, you know, the police union ought not fight this. I think that the business community, the three chambers of commerce, all, all come out and support it. A, B, the civil, right, the civil rights community all together, NHCP, National Action Network, Urban League. Uh, so we got to have the religious community, the civil rights community, our business community, uh, uh, Mrs. Edwards, the, the neighborhood people, everyone is saying uh, we need, this is systemic change. Once we, this is structural change. Anything else is rhetoric. Uh, we, we all have confidence in the police. I, I, I'm not a proponent of, of defunding the police. I am a proponent of transforming and, and, and refunding, which means to make sure that those dollars go into mental health and, and, and police athletic league. But, but in some risk, um, my friends, the, one of the major takeaways here is going to be strengthening the Citizen Review Board to have teeth. And, and we need all hands on board to make this happen. If we don't get there without throwing rocks and complaining, if we don't get there, then this just, this just a, a walk in the park. So the community is saying, if you want community buy-in, people are saying, let's do something that has not been done, get a real police citizen review board with teeth that is strongly supported by law enforcement, civil rights community, and, and the business community. Thank you so much, Reverend Holmes. Ms. Edwards, what uh, a community member asks, what outreach is recommended to bring young people 
into this discussion? How do we get young people more involved in this uh, community discussion? Um, I'm currently the mother of two teenagers and a handful of preteens. And I think that the way that we involve youth first is that we actually model what engagement looks like, right? That they're seeing us actually be engaged. I think the second the second one is to slow down a minute and to actually um, be able to mentor the youth because they don't understand everything. They're passionate and they're ready to go, but slow down the work that we're doing so they can see and watch and really learn how it's being done. Um, also, direct them in the area of their passion. Many times, we all are in our lanes and people see us working and they, they gravitate to us, but they're passionate about something else. So um, the, the people that I've been mentoring, actually a group of brilliant young men, IB students at, um, um, at Rickers High School, they did a documentary on youth and poverty. I don't know if you all have seen it, but um, through our conversation, these young men got really, really interested of how, um, this works on a community level, how to get involved. And so they called and they asked questions. And am I thinking about this the right way? And I think sometimes am I busy? Yeah, but slowing down because that's the next generation of our leaders. And then we'll see the magic happen. You know, like I said, be the example, slow down and mentor, direct them in their passion, and then let's watch them work as they get engaged. That's great. Talithia, can you share the link to that uh, after we're done with someone from Village Square? And then when the replay is done, that documentary, we could have the link there for people to uh, click on that. Okay. Sure. That would be great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, USA Keefe. Uh, this was a, not all of the questions were directed right at a panelist, but this one was directed at you. And the question is, how many assistant U.S. attorneys have you hired? How many of them were African-American? And do you have any African-Americans on your management team? Since coming into office in January of uh, 2019, I believe we've hired eight assistant U.S. attorneys. It's a very uh, long, protracted process uh, that's uh, organized through the Department of Justice and uh, background checks and so forth. And of that eight, I believe six are women, two are men, and one of them is a racial minority. Okay. Are you? But I mean, the, the upshot of that is, uh, from my, my point of view, is our commitment to doing everything we can within the law and compliance with the law in terms of employment law and hiring to achieve diversity in our office, whether it's with the assistant U.S. attorneys, whether it's with staff members. And the approach that I've uh, begun to use to be able to kind of cut through things and move things more quickly are internship programs. And there'll be more coming uh, uh, from my office in regard to our minority internships, particularly one that we have uh, established with Florida a and University. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. Uh, Sheriff, why don't TPD and, and the Sheriff's Office train and operate under uniform standards and policies uh, for use of force and other uh, things like that? Well, Skip, I'm not sure uh, who asked that question, but I, I will uh, tell you that for the most part, uh, we do. Uh, we, we train together quite a bit, uh, particularly in terms of weaponry and, and responding to calls because we have so many uh, calls that we jointly respond to. So we have to make sure we're coordinating and training and utilizing the same techniques. 
just like uh, uh, Sheriff uh, Chief Lawrence talked about just a moment ago, uh, the eight that can't wait, uh, all that training that they're doing, we're doing the same kinds of things. One of the things I did when we first got there was to wait to see exactly what type of camera systems that the police department would have so that we would not have another system that was foreign for the citizens so, so that, and for Jack so that it got the same information, the same processes going throughout the community. But I'm not sure what the genesis of that question is, but for the most part, uh, we have the same, pretty much the same. Now, keep in mind, I, I came from the Tallahassee Police Department, so many of the things that uh, we were doing there, we're certainly now doing in, in Leon County Sheriff's Office. Thank you. Mr. Marcelin, a community member, these are all community questions, uh, asks, um, is there a problem locally with over-policing black neighborhoods? So that's something the sheriff talked about near the top. Uh, what is your take on this, this issue of, of over-policing uh, black neighborhoods? Um, again, I go back to saying that we have to be a little bit more invested in, in our communities. Um, yes, there are some hot spots, and we know that there are different uh, law enforcement units that operate there to deal with you know, significant problems, be it drugs or uh, whatever. But then you have to look at the root of the problem. Why are the individuals turning to that lifestyle? Is there economic resources that we can put into the community and pump into the community versus um, opportunities that, uh, you know, are, are taken out of the community. One of the things that I know is that uh, you have a lot of returning citizens in the community. The jobs that they are offered are limited. Uh, simply changing those statuses, helping individuals um, returning to uh, society find uh, decent, well-paying jobs. Uh, paying their salaries so that they can afford to uh, come out and uh, be successful and uh, make most of that second chance is also very, very critical. Um, when you're asking the question, um, you know, if, is there over-policing in the, the neighborhoods? Uh, certainly. And again, it, it, you know, we have a con our areas in, in the city is very concentrated. It's somewhat very segregated, uh, even within our own Leon County. But yes, you know, I think that where you have more problems, you're naturally going to have more law enforcement response to respond to it. Uh, however, I don't necessarily just blame 100% law enforcement as being the issue. There are some root issues under there that causes issues that cause law enforcement's presence overly in that community. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Crump. What are three specific changes in law enforcement procedures which would benefit both the police and the citizens of Tallahassee, Leon County. If you could wave a magic wand, what are the three things you would change? You know, I, I wish I had that magic wand, but it's gonna take a lot of hard work for our community partners and law enforcement working together. Uh, and he's my spiritual leader. And so I'm not just quoting like I do when I'm in church, but what Reverend Holmes said about the Citizens Review Board is so important because all of us have to have some checks and balances. And many times we just don't believe uh, police have checks and balances. And so hopefully Chief Rebel and Sheriff McNeil will welcome a Citizens Review Board as part of the solution to the problem of mistrust. And really, as uh, Reverend Holmes said, and I know President Marshall said, have some teeth. And like, it's just not a, a boy that you uh, say, well, these crazy citizens, they don't know anything. 
Now, we can all learn from each other. So we got to have that, number one, as Citizens Review Board. Then the second thing, I, I don't know. I like what um, State Attorney Campbell said about trying to come and be transparent with the community. But I, I'm, I'm still not understanding completely why the police who have just this incredible power to use necessary and up to deadly force on the citizens, why can't we be more transparent, uh, more in tune with what we see, how regular people are treated in the sense that if you have overwhelming evidence, why do we have to wait? And I'm, I'm a lawyer. And so this is a lawyer asking this question. And I can only imagine what the regular citizens are asking. Why does it take two or three years when police have uh, a charge of brutality or excessive force that leads to terrible injuries or death of citizens to uh, finally have it come out when we know if an ordinary citizen did that, we would probably have it the next night on the evening news and it would be released by the police. You know, it wouldn't be a situation where we have to wait forever to see what happened. Uh, and then lastly, my third thing, I just think that I, I can't understand certain things like chokeholds, why we fight to use them, why we fight to use no-not warrants when we know it not only puts the citizens in danger, but a no-not warrant with these stand-your-ground laws and these gun right laws. When you come and you haven't announced yourself and identified yourself and you in plain clothes and you busting open my front door in the middle of wee hours of the night, I have a right to defend myself. And so why do we keep pushing for those types of policies and procedures? Those would be the three things that I would asked about um, respected law enforcement leaders. Thank you so much, Mr. Crump. Uh, Special Agent in Charge Rojas, uh, another question that we had submitted was, what are law enforcement agencies, and the FBI would uh, be one of those, doing to vet applicants uh, to look for racial bias or the wrong psychological profile? So I know for our particular agency, we are uh Pretty thorough and rigorous. Well, I tell you what, Special Agent Shard, we are just not able to hear you right now. You're you sound like a character from Star Wars as I date myself a little bit. So I'm gonna try to come back to you in a minute. I I'm sorry about that. Okay, so we've had a bunch of questions also coming in live, and some of them are directed to the group and others. Um, to you specifically. So I'm going to start uh, with one for you, uh, Mr. State's Attorney. What can the community and more specifically the state attorney do to explore and allow the community to participate in restorative justice as a part of sentencing? That starts on, a, it's a bilateral consensual basis. So it's something that we're already directing some of our juveniles towards and it, it requires both the victim and the offender to agree and take responsibility for their actions. This office is one of the more proactive steps. We need to have more bandwidth for doing that. Community Connections is a large partnership. And so if you're interested in supporting that, we have plenty of cases where we need those interventions. And I would suggest volunteering with Community Connections. Okay, thank you. Ms. Edwards, uh, someone 
that is referring a call, a conversation that you had last night at Tallahassee Forward. And one of the ideas of the breakout session was greater investment in 211 and better coordination between 211 and 911 to steer law enforcement and mental health social service needs appropriately. Does that ring a bell? Can you and can you say a word about that and and expand on it a little bit? Do you know what they're talking about? Um, yeah, last night we hosted our first um, call to see if a collective in town is, is a way in which we need to work to tackle some of the issues in our community. There were ten breakout groups. Um, so I'll just touch a little bit. I don't I don't remember what group it came from, or maybe they were in the group and talked about it. But it speaks a little bit to Sheriff McNeil's conversation about police the social issues falling into the laps of the police and that um, 211 is a small entity and not resourced enough to actually um, provide some of these social service needs that maybe 211 could potentially be a first um, call instead of 911. And so I hope I've, I've, I've cleared that a little bit, but there were 10 breakout rooms. Okay, thank you. Let's see. So here's an interesting one I'll open up uh, to the panel. What does the panel think of self-policing within communities, giving residents the training and education to do so? So community self-policing. Anyone want to tackle that? Don't everybody jump in at once. By the way, I just have to say we've got lawyers, we have politicians and we have pastors and y'all have done an amazing job of giving nice tight answers i really appreciate that uh uh and i know the group does as well miss edwards are you trying to get in here i guess i could jump in there um i think that citizens who want to do it should be allowed to be trained i actually think the youth are the best self-police Policers, I mean, officers could be. I grew up in Miami. Um, I grew up in Miami where lots of crime. And one of the things um, we had in Miami was this youth police force. And they started as young as seven. And so what they began to do is they became role models in the community and they policed themselves. So we're seeing a lot of the crime that is happening. It's happening with the youth and young adults who are unengaged. But these youth begin to police themselves in school and out of school. And so that may be a way to start um, actually decreasing some of this in-school violence and intercommunal violence when we talk about self-policing, start with our children. I, I would just chime in to what Ms. Edwards said. I think that's great if uh, the police chief and sheriff would try as much as possible to start recruiting diverse police at an early age. I mean, going there, whether it's with the churches or what have you, going to be proactive and say, I got to have a police force that look like my community and really making a sincere effort. Because I think when you ask young people what they want to be, Skip, it's amazing. Most young black people say when they're children, well, we want to be police or we want to be you know, as much as they say doctors and lawyers, Reverend Holmes, how many people at our church, the young people say we want to be police, but something happens between those tender, you know, optimistic children, our boys and girls, but by the time they graduate high school, where they no longer see police as their friend, and we got to do something about that as a community. 
and Skip, I think to what what Attorney Crump said and Mrs. Edwards and 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 um Chief Revel and 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 Chef McNear, we still have the ride with the police, right? Where where citizens ride with the cops. I, yes. I think to begin to get, to get young people uh, in middle school, you know, to ride with police officers. I think what has worked well across the country uh, and in this community uh, to strengthen the police athletic league in in, in the hot spot areas that, that Brother Adams is, is alluding to. You know, in Frenchtown, Southside, we have one at Jack McLean. Uh, we we need to, the young people need to see police officers like uh, engage in the community, playing basketball, uh, being being their mentors. So we had we have those programs set up, Skip, but because of the lack of funding, those programs have gone away. Uh, but because we're serious now, this is a wake-up moment. Uh, we need to try to make sure we have the resources to start those police athletic leagues um, and academies back in, in the inner city, in Frenchtown, in Southside, those, those, those zip codes that we know that are troubled areas, they're going to they're bubble up sooner than later. I think that that's self-policing. Uh, that, that, that's not defunding police. That's enhancing the community and, and bringing uh, our, our young African-American boys and girls along where they, where they see the first time they see a police is not not coming to shoot or to arrest, but coming to uplift and help and inspire you. Yeah, Mr. Marshall and Reverend Reverend Holmes, uh, I I just want to just add this one point too. Uh, a little known fact about myself is when I was growing up, uh, my intended track was to be a law enforcement officer. As a matter of fact. I did that all the way in college, majoring in criminology and criminal justice at Florida State University before changing tracks after the tragic death of Martin Lee Anderson and going to law school. One thing that I will say, and I've already spoken to uh, the uh, former police chief, I would say that it is critically important when this uh, police department is placing programs that promote law enforcement, such as the Explorers program, which I was part of the Stort Police Explorers program, the placement of where those programs are in the community and how accessible they are to minority communities. As I said, those programs gave me a unique look into what it's like to be a law enforcement officer and develop the passion in there. However, when I asked where, where the current program was, it was at the police department. And usually when I think about, you know, what my family, you know, had to go through, my parents had to work several jobs. I didn't have a ride to go to the police station. Luckily for me, the police station was in our backyard and I was able to walk and take uh, benefits with those programs, receive scholarships. And I think those critical programs need to yeah. be placed in our minority community so that we can help with the perception and get more folks that are interested and genuinely uh, interested in serving the community uh, there. And so that's one thing that I would like to reiterate on this call as well. Okay, I want to get uh, uh, USA Keith back in here, and I really want to ask you the question that I'm sorry for Special Agent in Charge Rojas's technical problems, uh, but w what about, you know, what are law enforcement agencies doing to vet applicants? I mean, that, that's the best case. If we've got problem with uh, people that have racist attitudes, is just never let them in to law enforcement. So what, what, are, what is being done to vet for that during the application process, as well as folks that just don't have the right psychological profile would be, you know, would, would tend to be violent or whatever? Is that something you can speak to? I can, certainly not as authoritatively as Special Agent in Charge Rojas can, but I can tell you for uh, any member of a U.S. Attorney's Office, whether it's in a whether it's one of the prosecutors, one of the assistant uh, United States attorneys, or non-staff members, 
you're typically going to have at least a half year, if not longer, full field is what they call it, background investigation that goes back through your entire life. And it involves FBI agents going and interview neighbors, friends, colleagues, all of your school records. Usually that process flushes out issues, uh, behavioral issues, bias issues, those sorts of things. I know that with the, the FBI as a actual you know, law enforcement, uh, sworn law enforcement agency, they have a very pronounced and very rigorous psychological testing and review and a whole enhanced side of determining uh, uh, who their special agents will be. So it's very comprehensive, but they're not infallible. There's, in any organization of which I've ever been a member, there are people that uh, get through the vetting in the background process. And that's what I think is kind of one of the larger themes that we have here tonight, is how do we deal with that? We have what happened in uh, Minnesota happen. Uh, we don't want it to happen in Tallahassee. We want to do everything we can and to rely simply on the background checks, no matter how thorough they are, is, is uh, not enough. There has to be constant vigilance. And as Mr. Crump pointed out, the checks and balances. And again, that is a very unique role that the U.S. Department of Justice, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office plays in that, uh, you know, we're not uh, beholden to the local political community and those influences. And uh, that is our job to take those complaints. And, um, and I can assure you that uh, I wish she could be on to speak for herself. Uh, Special Agent in Charge Rojas and I uh, feel that obligation, that duty in our hearts and our souls. And we are ready to engage when the opportunity presents itself. Thank you so much, Mr. U.S. Attorney, sir. Uh, State's Attorney Campbell, you are a um, uh, popular uh, person when it comes to questions. I may have phrased that a little charitably, um, but uh, there are a lot of questions headed your way. Let's put it that way. Uh, the One of them is, why are we not utilizing um, more adult civil citations for low-level nonviolent offenses to divert people from having life-damaging records from benign, for benign crimes and flooding our judicial system? Well, actually, that's incorrect. Um, with 20% of our cases, 20% of the cases that this office handles are sent through the uh, diversion program. So one out of five, if you look at the crimes that we're sending, those are the ones that they're describing. Um, we set up when I first got into office this, it is free basically. It's $100 cost, but there is a, you can, there's a waiver through the city where if you can't afford, you can do community service and, and waiver. So 20% of our cases, and those take care of things like possession of marijuana, open containers, disorderly contact, a lot of different crimes like that, but we are using it very robustly. I think anybody who's been watching the local media, they can see quite clearly that what we're focusing on right now is very violent crime. If you look at uh, what we're looking at, um, unfortunately, we still have some violent challenges, and that's where we're spending most of our resources. But you know, one out of five cases doesn't even um, that are referred to this office are sent into a, a non-judicial um, thing. And in, in juvenile crime, that's even higher where we often send them at a, at a higher rate through non-judicial. So it's a, we're, trying to, we're trying to do that as much as possible. We, usually what we're trying to do when we do go criminal on lesser things is because of uh, either substance abuse issues or domestic violence issues, we're trying to nip it in the bud when it, before it gets too violent 
Often the difference between a, a simple battery and an aggravated battery is how bad the victim is hurt. And so I would, I'd rather stop it at the first slap than allow it to get to the point where somebody's going to the hospital. So uh, here's another uh, question uh, from tonight. And the, the person has noticed what I've noticed, which is this defund the police definition. There seems to be some consensus here that we're, you know, we're not talking about cutting the police budget in half, but reallocating dollars. So this person asks, it seems like there's a point of agreement around the idea of scaling back the scope of law enforcement responsibilities and scaling up social programs that address root causes of crime. Question is, how does that work? Question from the community member is, how do we actually, what does affecting that change actually look like? Um, does somebody want to take that? Maybe Sheriff uh, McNeil? Yeah, I'll take it, Skip. Uh, and I, I'll tell you that I, I'm proud of the fact that uh, we are, from the Leon County Sheriff's Office perspective, we're out front on that issue. And what it looks like, quite honestly, is identifying the uh, causes of the problems in our community. We talked about mental health. We talked about the poverty issue. We talked about domestic violence that takes place the impacts of trauma on our children in our community. We did talk about the number of homeless people in our community that also wind up in our detention facility. And then we don't talk about the number of persons coming back from prison from uh, into our community, about uh, between 800 to 2,000 a year that come back. And what we've done at the Leon County Sheriff's Office is say, we've got to partner with and make sure we have all those social service organizations embedded with our law enforcement partners in a way that we deal with these issues up front. And what that kind of looks like for me is making sure that the people we arrest and go out into our detention facilities have those elements that are ill from mental health or whatever it might be, homeless, drug use, all those problems that are social problems in our community that we then try to identify who those persons are, put them through what we call a portal of reentry back into our community and then try to make sure the social service organizations are there, stood up, working hand in hand with law enforcement to get those persons jobs, get them mental health treatment, deal with the trauma that our kids have been faced with, and do something about the homeless. The problem is that there just aren't the dollars out there to deal with those four, those four areas I just talked about, four or five areas. There has to be funding that goes into, and I can tell you, uh, uh, U.S. Attorney Keefe and I have been working with uh, uh, the uh, Appalachian Mental Health Center and trying to stand some robust uh, systems up, but trying to get the funding for those is difficult. But we are starting that process. What we now need to do is engage both at the city and the county levels in terms of trying to make sure that we have dollars and, and monies put aside specifically for those purposes. And the other, I, I said, uh, Skip, is to look at law enforcement differently, and that will take some time, that law enforcement can no longer be the catch-all for all the problems of our, of our society. We have to set up robust systems of other social service providers that are responders, not simply those persons who are sitting back waiting for the clients to come through their door. So that, that, that sounds like we're gonna spend the same on what I'll just call legacy law enforcement and we've gotta find new money for all of this other stuff as opposed to what I think defund police means is that we're gonna spend less money on legacy law enforcement and 
take the dollars that go away from that and spend it on these things that you're talking about? Is that my misunderstanding or, uh, I mean, I know these things are easier in theory than in practice, but what, what am I missing? Well, I don't think you're missing it. I don't think we've all coalesced around that discussion to try to figure mm-hmm. out what those impacts are and where we can, where can we get the dollars? Are there dollars that are be, can be shifted? There perhaps are some dollars that can be shifted, but for the most part, I think it's a coordination of, of, of those efforts. And I think, Skip, it starts with all of us sitting down and saying, is this the place to start? Or do we start somewhere else? And my belief is that this is perhaps the most important place for us to start, particularly moving away from the legacy, as you called it, the way we've always done things Mm -hmm. to make an improvement, particularly going forward. I think this is an opportunity for our community to make some real significant change in the way we police our community and the way we provide services to the citizens of our community. Okay, so we're a few minutes over. Mr. Crump, did you want to get in here or uh, did I miss, you were off mute for a second? You good? I I would just say this, Skip. I I think we really have to try to change the coaching behavior of policing, and it should not be where if I call for somebody having a mental health crisis, that if we have the traditional budgets that have given all the money to law enforcement, well, at least we should have officers who can deal with those calls that are different from the officers since, let's be honest, the lion's share of our budgets in municipalities go to law enforcement. So we, if we want to see things differently, we have to think outside the box. Uh, and so that would be the chief and the sheriff working with a, a citizen review board or listening to U.S. Attorney Keith talking about things they're doing around the nation from uh, his perspective, dealing with Department of Justice to say, why are we killing so many mentally ill people who we know have mental problems uh, going in? The family called for them to get help, but yet they end up getting the bullet. And, And I will tell you the statistics are horrific. If you happen to be a black person with a mental illness, the likelihood of you being killed when the police came out because your family called for help. And so maybe that's what we got to do uh, because don't seem like nobody's going to take any money from budgets from law enforcement. That's just not the reality that we have in America. So maybe police can try to think outside the box and get with the community part and say, yeah, we have this budget. What can we do? Since uh, I, we get all these calls for mental health now, and the sheriff's department, the jail has now become the uh, quasi-mental health facility and so forth. So what can we do to think outside the box? Uh, Edwards and President Marshall, y'all, you all got to reach out to work with law enforcement because everybody's going to continue to give y'all the resources and not give them to uh Reverend Holmes and them. So since we're here for y'all trying to say, Jack, I don't want to meet you at the police uh, shooting where they shot another black boy in the back. And we're saying, give us the video. And you're saying, well, the law can't give it to us. And I'm challenging you on that. Let's try to prevent that dynamic. Well, you know, Skip. I, yes, I think sir. My closing comments, uh, I, I think to, to, to echo what everyone's saying, we do have the infrastructure in place, even for the reentry program, and, and three persons on this panel 
was on the board, the board of directors. We just needed to find the, the resources to, to take care of the thousands of people every year coming back into our system, coming back in our great community. Um, secondly, I think that you, you hear the unanimous call from the community about the Poultry Review Board. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, the civil rights groups, um, the, the business community, and also, Skip, you're, you're a former publisher. I think the Capital Outlook, tell us, tell us a Democrat, or to come out with strong editorials um, supporting the, the Poultry Review Board. Uh, lastly, my beloved brother and sister on this panel, um, I think we, we, we helped the, the, the chief of police um, by trying to really develop these police athletic leagues, uh, our explorer program that, that President A.C. talked about. I think th th those are, are tangible things. I think the U.S. attorney is, is, is committed to the civil rights uh, uh, piece. I just think that we, we, have, we have the recipe here uh, to, to, to really talk seriously about uh, criminal justice reform. I, I think that the wake-up call from the, the uh, George Floyd it was a wake-up call. Um, I think that we all commend and applaud Attorney Crump for how he has really um, I'm, I'm, I'm been the leader in, in calling America to a new sense of awareness about what's happening in criminal justice uh, as it relates to, to brown people and black people. Uh, but but I do think, my friends, that I may I may be a little, you know, maybe may a little too optimistic. But I think if anybody can 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 resolve some of these problems, we have the right leadership in Tallahassee to make it happen. Um, but we got we got it. But we got to do it, and we got to just kind of understand it's our community, and we're gonna be a model. And uh, Reverend Holmes, this is Adner, and I wanted just to add one thing that I I think is very critical when we're talking about the Citizens Review Board. Um, Independence is what the people are calling for, but they're calling for independence away from a board that is governed by the city that is supposed to police entities of the city. And I want to be very, very clear about that, because when we're making these demands, you cannot ignore what the community is calling for to fix the issues. And that's part of our issues is we have to listen to what the communities are saying. While I do respect um, the research that was done by city staff, I respect the decision um, that the courts have held in other cases about the limitations on what some of the, those boards can and cannot do. I think it is very disingenuous about the conversations that are floating around in our community that if we open, and we, we'd probably have to open the charter again to get the board that the community is calling for, that others would take that as an advantage to throw other things within the charter uh, as an opportunity. And I think that we need to be very careful. If we're going to open the charter up, which is something that the NAACP has voted on last night and is calling for, we want a truly independent citizens review board. And if we're going to open up the charter, we should not use that opportunity for people to take advantage of what citizens are calling for to put other things in there. But we should move forward with giving the citizens what it is asking for. And so I do hope that we can all come together and truly get a very independent citizens review board. I know the NAACP was mentioned there. I wanted to clarify where yeah. we're standing. We will Thank support you for doing that. Board, but we want to make sure we're very clear. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, let's see. First, when Reverend Holmes loses his optimism, we'll all know we're in big trouble, <laughs> right? So that's number one. Uh, number two is, uh, Chief, where, where are you on the uh, Citizens Review Board? What, what is your position on that? Do you support it? And, and uh, do you support going even further than what the commission has uh, started to lay out? I fully support the Citizens Review Board. And, you know, that's the direction we were going with my Citizen Advisory Council. 
uh, to begin with. And I get that the community wants that to be separate from the police department. Uh, I'm still going to continue with the council because I think it'll provide uh, just another insight into that. Um, but yeah, we, we are all about being transparent. We have nothing to hide. I believe we, we employ um, the best men and women in the country in law enforcement here in Leon County. Um, and, and that's both with the police department and the sheriff's department. Um, and, and I have no issue with anyone looking at what we do and how we do it. Um, I will be the first one to stand up and say, you know, when, when something is wrong, um, you know, and, 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 I, and I know the sheriff well enough to know he will as well. Um, so I, I welcome the review. I don't have any issue with it at all. Um, and, you know, and I just, I would like to go back real quick if I can, just to talk about, um, you know, the critical incident, uh, um, training, um, that most of our officers were pushing for all of our officers to, that they do already have, um, to deal with our mentally ill. And that's just another area where we are pushing forward and leading, um, the country and, and making sure that our officers understand that mental illness and how to deal with that effectively. Um, you know, we, we are, there are so many things we do. Um, Mr. Crump, I appreciate you and, and, and your comments that you've made. Um, I do want you to understand um, and, and know um, that we don't uh, do no, no knock search warrants in, in Leon County. Um, that's not part of what we do. Um, we don't do chokeholds. Um, th those were banned more than five years ago. Um, you know, so many of the tactics that are, um, people are talking about across the country, again, we are already leading in the fact that we don't do those and haven't done those. Um, and, and to say that we will continue to review all of our policies. That's why we turned them outward facing so that our community can see those. So back to your question, Skip, we have nothing to hide. Um, and I, I welcome, um, you know, community review and, and community over, you know, um, insight into what we are doing and how we do it. Okay, look, we have run over and um, our audience, I can see the participant numbers, they've hung in there with us and you panelists have hung in there with us. Uh, I wanna just go around and just a, a closing, very brief thought, maybe an action item. What, what you know, a lot of talk, what, what's an action item moving forward that you're gonna take or that you're gonna suggest that somebody else take um, or that our community takes? And so, I'm just going to kind of do this based on who's on my screen, which is probably different than everybody else's. But in the top left corner on my screen is our U.S. attorney um, who hopefully has found a way to take some liquids uh, during this talk and is staying healthy. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Keefe, thank you for hanging in there with us. What is your parting thought for us? Skip and my rest of my uh, fellow members of the panel here, I, I, I can control um, my piece of this uh, as best I can, and that is to deliver the follow-through. That is, when this uh, event ends, to attend as many events like this that I can attend, to attend as many meetings at Reverend Holmes Church as I can attend, to sit down with uh, Mr. Crump. I spend a good amount of time already with the chief and the sheriff and Jack Campbell, but I want to be accessible. I want to get out of the federal building. I want to get out into the community. And I want to take it as far as I can take it in my lane to listen, to educate myself, to be open-minded, and to appreciate different perspectives. And that will present opportunities day in and day out to do good things. I'm not a purporting to be a subject matter expert on all the social solutions and how you strike a balance on these things because I'm not a politician, I'm not a partisan, and I'm not a policymaker. I'm uh, the chief federal law enforcement officer in the district, but everyone that's listening to this and all of my, the folks on this panel 
at my commitment that they're going to see me often and regularly asking how I can help. Thank you so much and get to feeling better, USA Keith. Reverend Holmes. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad to see my good friend Larry Keith doing so much better. He's a good man. Um, I just think that um, the independent board, I think we got a strong elected, elected body in, in Tallahassee, both city and county, that can put the teeth that we need uh, in, in this civilian review board, police review board. Um, I just, I just think that we, this police athletic league is important. Um, I think that my takeaway was that we, we, we need to come out of here saying we support law enforcement. When, when they're right, we're going to applaud them. When they're wrong, we're going to work to get it right. Thank you, Reverend Holmes. Chief Rebel. Uh, thank you, Skip. Again, I just appreciate the conversation tonight. I've said from the very beginning um, uh, of being named chief here that it's all about relationships. And the relationships that, that I have with, with each of you on this panel um, and the relationships that we establish in the community are going to be the difference in, in this truly moving forward and, and making change. If we're talking about the one little item that you talked about that, you know, that we, can, we can do and move forward, um, and we touched on it here tonight, that is that youth are the key to this. And, and, and including youth and being in the schools, um, being involved in them. Um, you know, so I would encourage you all to join me. Uh, in the in the tempo to officer program um, that we have, where we take our tempo graduates, um, you know, and and we provide a clear path um, for them to become some of our community service technicians, and then on to becoming police officers, that we can put uh, in the communities that they grew up in and be those role models um, that you know we need so badly in all of our communities. So you know, if we're talking about one little thing, I would ask you to join me in that. Tempo is a fabulous program that the. The, uh, Dr. Kimball Thomas is, is run um, with great, fabulous results. Um, and to take some of those young men and women um, and bring them into law enforcement is, is, a, is a program that I'm very excited about. Thank you so much, Chief. Mr. Crump. Very simple. Transparency plus accountability equals trust. Uh, Got to be transparent. I, I know we sometimes hide behind the law to use these technical justifications, but now more than ever, the community, America needs transparency. We need to be transparent in who we prosecuting, who we shooting. I mean, the statistics just need to be honest with each other. We cannot have this opportunity with all these powerful people on this panel and not speak truth to power. We need transparency and you all, got to be honest with yourselves. If you see that 90% of the time when we, the police shoot, we shoot black people or Hispanic people, then we got to do something about it. We got to be honest with ourselves. And, and, and to my brother in the bar, Jack Campbell, we got to look at who we prosecuting. If all we doing is prosecuting black and brown people on such a disproportionate rate, we got to say we can do better because America, we can do better. We must do better. I may not be as optimistic as my pastor, Reverend Hall, <laughs> but I do believe we can be a model for America here in Tallahassee. And I, I thank you all so much for having this conversation. Thank you, Mr. Crumb. Thank you for being here. Sheriff McNeil. Thank you, Skip, and thank you for Village Square for having this great forum. Let me uh, just tell you, uh, my commitment uh, three years ago, I 
I said to the citizens of Leon County that we were going to be all in, and we described what all in was all about. And all the things we've talked about here tonight uh, is a part of that, uh, that solution. It's going to take all of us working together across the various uh, disciplines and across the various ideologies to focus on Leon County to make this place the beautiful city and county that it is. And I, I am like uh, Reverend Holmes, I am extremely optimistic that this meeting tonight can ignite uh, a movement that I think is going to reap some great benefits in our community. And uh, all I can tell you is my commitment still is all in and I'm ready to sit down and roll up our sleeves and go to work. Thank you so much, Sheriff. Uh, Mr. Marcelin, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you all for having me, and thanks again to the Village Square for putting this conversation on. Uh, for those of you all who know me, you know that I, I'm not going to mince my words, but uh, one thing that I have not heard, and I think it's the most critical thing, um, and I addressed this, you know, you said you wanted action. The most important thing that you can do is vote. Vote. August 18th in our local elections, you got to vote. If you don't just vote on the presidential elections, the local elections matter. A lot of the people that are on this call, they're elected. They're elected to serve you and to represent you. And when you feel that your, your views and what you're asking is not being met, run for office. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not qualified. If uh, Donald Trump can hold the office of president of the United States, everybody is qualified. And I'll just say that lightly. Sorry if I offended anybody. <laughs> The other thing I will say is speak out. When you see something, say something. That goes for law enforcement in our community as well. When you see something that's not mm -hmm. supposed to happen, speak out, file complaints, go to the police department, file those internal affairs complaints. We all have to start policing ourselves and the communities that we live in. Stop turning an eye and come forward. And the last thing that I will say is we have a dynamic array of great organizations that are doing some good things in our community. Get involved. Uh, you just don't go home. Get out of your homes. Get into the neighborhoods. Get into the NAACP, the National Action Network. Uh, find something to do with the police department. Take a ride along. Get involved in your community and be a part of the process. And so you ask for action. Those are three things that I can say. But the most important is those local elections. Go out and vote. Change your registration college students to the local address where you live and vote, vote, vote. You can make the difference. They may not listen to you, but they'll listen to your vote at the ballot and the ballot box. Thank you all. Thank you, Mr. Marcelin, very much. We have two more closings to go. I just want to tell you that um, I've got an amazing uh, viewer comment that I want to wrap up with. So stay tuned for that, as well as an announcement on uh, our next. This is a this is a three part series. And I want to tell you what the next part is. Uh, State's Attorney Campbell. Thanks so very much. Once again, reiterating uh, this has been a good night, good talking to my friends. The rest of the panelists, one thing I don't think most people would recognize, we all know each other. Um, everybody you're looking at, and, and my brother, my fellow bar brother, Trump and I know each other well, Pastor Holmes, and that's because we're out there doing the work. And so what I'd like to do is invite y'all to come and see. One of the things about the criminal justice system is that we're reactive. If you candidly, very few times do you want to be, have us in your lives. So, why don't you take an opportunity to come to the courthouse, come and meet these prosecutors, come ride along with these officers, come work with the NAACP, come work with Delicia in the, in the neighborhoods doing advocacy. That's where the rubber meets the road. I'm very proud of the team that we have at the state attorney's office. I'm proud of us each day trying to do the right thing to make this community safe. So if, instead of 
of stereotyping, which we all agree is the wrong way and has led to a lot of the iniquities that we're fighting, I would offer that spend some time with this law enforcement community and some of our prosecutors and come and watch these judges, come and watch these cases being argued, listen to the arguments, and then you'll have a much better understanding of what you're doing in the courtroom and, and some of the challenges. So when Sheriff McNeil and, and Chief Revel are asking for help, you'll understand what their deputies and what their officers are confronting in the street, and you'll see what one of the saddest things I see every time. I would say that at least half of the juveniles who stand in front of a juvenile judge each day at first appearance have no one in the courtroom with them. No one. This community needs to step up and try to come in there and see what these young people, because they need someone to be standing beside them, and then you'll understand exactly what the criminal justice system is trying to do and what the great work of all the members of the panels is doing. So thank you for having me. Special Agent in Charge, Rojas, are you, have you gotten a connection to us? Skip, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, look at that. I finally get some audio. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. I deeply apologize. I just wanted to say thank you to you, Ron and the Village Square team, and all the partners that are uh, participating tonight. And Jack is right. We all know each other. We all communicate. I think the most important thing to walk away with is we got to be honest with each other, and we're going to have to have those hard conversations, and a part of that is with the community. And we look forward to having that opportunity. And I look forward to getting to know the community much better up in Tallahassee. So thank you very much for providing this honor and privilege tonight. Thank you so much, uh, Special Agent Charge Rojas. And I'm so sorry we had technical trouble. Um, next week, uh, the next conversation will be a week from tonight, 7 p.m. I didn't close out, Sorry. I'm sorry? You forgot me to close How did I do that? Oh, the little picture shifted around. It, it was a Zoom conspiracy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Ms. Edwards. I apologize. That's all right. I know we're running over on time. This is No, please take your time. It's been a great conversation tonight. And I, uh, me being the only grassroots organizing advocate on, on the call, I think it would be remiss not to not to mention that a part of our action is to look at the systematic and structural racism that we have going on, right? Like this has been a heavy, heavy um, law enforcement and criminal justice reform conversation, which is wonderful. I think we're at that place in our nation and in our city. But let's look at the systematic root issues. Um, Adner talked about them a little bit. The wealth gap, right? Unemployment, housing, um, incarceration, infant maternal and infant mortality rates, right? These things are structural and systematic, and these things are happening before law enforcement hits our community. And so they are exacerbated when law enforcement are brought into those situations. So I don't want to keep us long, but I think just as we springboard into the next conversation, we cannot forget the systematic and structural racism that are the root causes of all of these things that are happening. So thank you for having me. It's been a great, great conversation. I hope we continue to have these kind of conversations and continue to put action to all of our words. So thanks. Thank you, and I'm so sorry. So Zoom lesson number 28 is you can't go by where the pictures are because the pictures move around. So, but keep the conversation going is exactly right. Uh, this, the part two uh, facilitated by my good friend Heidi Otway, the president of Salter Mitchell, will be a week from tonight. So register for that. And I just want to close. A, a reader sent this in, and panelists, I hope I'm not a reader. Boy, yeah, okay. Uh, a, a viewer, 
sent this in, and this is really for the panelists. It says, just a very sincere thank you for all of you joining in this very important conversation. It goes without saying that all that are on this call care very, care very much for our community and want us to be the trendsetters across the USA of how community members come together to address the tough issues and work together to build a unified, cohesive community that honors and respects each other. I can't possibly improve on that. Uh, thank you to Sachs Media Group, to Village Square, um, to uh, Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and to all of you and to all of you viewers uh, that participated in this. Uh, Ms. Edwards is right. Let's keep the conversation going. We will a week from tonight and beyond. Be safe and healthy, everyone, and have a great night. Thank you very much. Thank you, Skip. Hello again. This is Vanessa, your podcast host. Thanks for hanging in there with us during this very lengthy, but very, very important discussion. Thanks also to each of these panelists for participating and for their commitment to our community. It's our job as citizens to stay engaged on this issue and hold our leaders accountable so that this momentum leads us past a moment in history and toward a new and better tomorrow. On our website, you can find the show notes page for this episode that includes links to some of the things mentioned here, like the results of the survey conducted by Sachs Media Group, and there's a link to the documentary on youth poverty in Tallahassee that Talithia mentioned. And also, since 211 Big Bend was mentioned a couple times on this episode, I'm going to give you a link to a podcast episode that I recorded for my personal show, which is called Let's Get Local Tallahassee. And 211 Big Bend is actually the first nonprofit that I featured on this show because that's just how important I believe their services are to our community. And uh, we need to spread the word on that because really when it comes to giving immediate first line mental health support, it's just a fantastic resource. They are available 24-7. So if you're interested in learning more about what they do and how they support our community in a critical way, that episode is a great resource. You can find the show notes page and other Village Squarecast episodes at villagesquare.us slash squarecast. While you're there, check out the Local Color Listen-In episodes that we released recently. Those provide really powerful insights into the lives of some of our neighbors. We hope that you'll join us again for part two and three of the Equality in Life series. Check back soon on the Village Squarecast for those. We appreciate you listening to this Equality in Life episode of the Village Squarecast. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to the Village Squarecast. Cast.